0: Comus, a mask presented at Ludlow Castle, 1634. Words by John Milton, the original songs by Henry Laws, with dance music by William Laws, directed by Heather Davies. With Roger Honeywell as the demon or attendant spirit, Paul Hopkins as Comus, Bethany Gillard as the lady, Tracy Ryan as the elder brother, Beryl Bain as the second brother, and Tahireh Vishdani as Sabrina. The musicians in Ordinary String Band is Patricia Ahern, second violin, Felix Deek, viola da gamba on the tenor part, and Laura Jones, viola da gamba on the bass part, all led by Christopher Verrett, first violin. John Edwards plays the Orbo in the string band and to accompany the songs. Deanne Williams was the dramaturge, Matt Antal was the audio producer, and Paul Hopkins was the associate producer. John Edwards was the producer. This recording was made with the support of York University, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Killam Trust, the SPEM in Allium Fund of the Toronto Foundation, and individual donors. Part one of Comus.
1: the heavens now I fly and those happy climes that lie where day never shuts his eye up in the broad fields of the sky there I suck the liquid air all amidst the garden fair Hesperus and his daughters three that sing about the golden tree. Iris there with humid bow waters the old banks that blow flowers of more mingled hue than her perfled scarf can show of hyacinths and roses Where many a cherub soft
2: reposes Before the starry threshold of Jove's court my mansion is Where those immortal shapes of bright aerial spirits Live in in regions mild of calm and serene air above the smoke and stir of this dim spot which men call earth and with low thoughted care confined and pestered in this pinfold here strive to keep up a frail and feverish being unmindful of the crown that virtue gives after this mortal change to her true servants amongst the enthroned gods on sainted seats yet Some there be that with due steps aspire to lay their just hands on that golden key that opes the palace of eternity. To such my errand is, and but for such I would not soil these pure ambrosial weeds with the rank vapors of this sin-worn mold. But to my task... Neptune, besides the sway of every salt flood and each ebbing stream, took it in by lot, twixt high and nether Jove, imperial rule of all the sea-girt isles that, like to rich and various gems, inlay the unadorned bosom of the deep, which he, to grace his tributary gods, by course commits to several government, and gives them leave to wear their sapphire crowns and wield their little tridents. But this isle, the greatest and the best of all the main, he quarters to his blue-haired deities, and all this track that fronts the falling sun, a noble peer of mickle trust and power has in his charge, with tempered awe to guide an old and haughty nation proud in arms, where his fair offspring, nursed in princely lore, are coming to attend their father's state and new entrusted scepter. But their way lies through the perplexed paths of this drear wood, the nodding horror of whose shady brows threats the forlorn and wandering passenger. And here their tender age might suffer peril, but that by quick command from sovereign Jove, I was dispatched for their defense and guard. And listen why, for I will tell you now what never yet was heard in tale or song from old or modern bard in hall or bower. Bacchus, the first from out the purple grapes, crushed the sweet poison of misused wine after the Tuscan mariners transformed, coasting the Tyrene shore as the winds listed on Circe's island fell. Who knows not Circe, the daughter of the sun, whose charmed cup whoever tasted lost his upright shape and downward fell into a groveling swine? This nymph that gazed upon his clustering locks, with ivy-berries wreathed, and his blithe youth, had by him, ere he parted thence, a son, much like his father, but his mother more, which therefore she brought up, and Comus named, who, ripe and frolic of his full-grown age, roving the Celtic and Iberian fields, at last betakes him to this ominous wood, and— in thick shelter of black shades embowered, excels his mother at her mighty art, offering to every weary traveler his orient liquor in a crystal glass to quench the drought of Phoebus, which as they taste, for most do taste through fond intempered thirst, soon as the potion works, their human countenance, the express resemblance of the gods, is changed into some brutish form of wolf, or bear, or ounce, or tiger, hog, or bearded goat, all other parts remaining as they were. And they, so perfect is their misery, not once perceive their foul disfigurement, but boast themselves more comely than before, and all their friends and native home forget to roll with pleasure in a sensual sty. Therefore, when any favorite of high Jove chances to pass through this adventurous glade, swift as the sparkle of a glancing star, I shoot from heaven to give him safe convoy, as now I do. But first I must put off these my sky robes spun out of iris woof, and take the weeds and likeness of a swain that to the service of this house belongs, who with his soft pipe and smooth dittied song well knows to still the wild winds when they roar and hush the waving woods, nor of less faith, and in this office of his mountain watch, likeliest and nearest to the present aid of this occasion. But I hear the tread of hateful steps. I must be viewless now.
3: The star that bids the shepherd fold, now the top of heaven doth hold. And the gilded car of day, his glowing axle doth allay in the steep Atlantic stream. And the slope sun, his upward beam, shoots against the northern pole, pacing toward the other goal of his chamber in the east. Meanwhile, welcome, joy and feast, Midnight shout and revelry, tipsy dance and jollity. Braid your locks with rosy twine, dropping odors, dropping wine. Rigor now has gone to bed, and advice with scrupulous head, strict age and sour severity, with their grave saws in slumber lie. We that are of purifier imitate the starry choir who in their nightly watchful spheres lead in swift round the months and years. The sounds and seas with all their finny drove now to the moon in wavering morris move, and on the tawny sands and shelves trip the pert fairies and the dapper elves. By dimpled brook and fountain brim the wood nymphs decked with daisies trim their merry wakes and pastimes keep. What hath night to do with sleep? Night has better sweets to prove. Venus now wakes and wakens love. Come, let us our rites begin. Tis only daylight that makes sin which these dun shades will ne'er report. Hail, goddess of nocturnal sport, dark-veiled Cotito, to whom the secret flame of midnight torches burn. Mysterious dame that ne'er art called but when the dragon womb of Stygian darkness spits her thickest gloom and makes one blot of all the air. Stay, thy cloudy ebon chair, wherein thou ridest with Hecate, and befriend us, thy vowed priests, till utmost end of all thy dues be done and none left out. Ere the blabbing eastern scout, the nice morn on the Indian steep, from her cabin loophole, peep and to the telltale sun descry our concealed solemnity. <laughs> Come, knit hands and beat the ground in a light fantastic round. break off, break off. I feel the different pace of some chaste footing near about this ground. Run to your shrouds within these brakes and trees, our number may affright. Some virgin sure, for so I can distinguish by mine art, benighted in these woods. Now to my charms and to my wily trains, I shall ere long be well stocked with as fair a herd as grazed about my mother, Circe. Thus I hurl my dazzling spells into the spongy air of power to cheat the eye with blear illusion and give it false presentments, lest the place and my quaint habits breed astonishment and put the damsel to suspicious flight, which must not be, for that's against my course." I, under fair pretense of friendly ends and well-placed words of glowsing courtesy, baited with reasons not unplausible, wind me into the easy-hearted man and hug him into snares. When once her eye hath met the virtue of this magic dust, I shall appear some harmless villager whom thrift keeps up about his country gear. But here she comes. I fairly step aside and hearken, if I may, her business here.
4: This way the noise was, if my ear be true, my best guide now. Methought it was the sound of riot and ill-managed merriment, such as the jock and flute or gamesome pipe stirs up among those loose, unlettered hinds when, for their teeming flocks and granges full, in wanton dance they praise the bounteous pan and thank the gods amiss. I should be loath to meet the rudeness and swilled insolence of such late wassailers, yet, oh, where else shall I inform my unacquainted feet in the blind mazes of this tangled wood? My brothers, when they saw me wearied out with this long way, resolving here to lodge under the spreading favor of these pines, stepped, as they said, to the next thicket side to bring me berries or such cooling fruit as the kind hospitable woods provide. But where they are and why they come not back is now the labor of my thoughts. "'Tis likeliest they had engaged their wandering steps too far, "'and envious darkness, ere they could return, had stolen them from me. "'I cannot hello to my brothers, but such noise as I can make to be heard farthest, I'll venture, "'for my new enlivened spirits prompt me, and they perhaps are not far hence.'
3: Of earth's mold breathes such divine enchanting ravishment. Sure, something holy lodges in that breast, and with these raptures moves the vocal air to testify his hidden residence. How sweetly did they float upon the wings of silence through the empty vaulted night, at every fall smoothing the raven down of darkness till she smiled. I have oft heard my mother Circe, with the sirens three amidst the flowery-curdled Niades, culling their potent herbs and baleful drugs, who, when they sung, would take the prison soul and lap it in Elysium. Scylla wept, and chid her barking waves into attention, and fell. Charybdis murmured soft applause. Yet they, in pleasing slumber, lulled the sense, and in sweet madness robbed it of itself. But such a sacred and home-felt delight, such sober certainties of waking bliss, I never heard till now. I'll speak to her, and she shall be my queen. Hail, foreign wonder, whom certain these rough shades did never breed, unless the goddess that in rural shrine dwells here with pan or sylvan by blessed song forbidding every bleak, unkindly fog to touch the prospering growth of this tall wood.
4: Nay, gentle shepherd, ill is lost that praise that is addressed to unattending ears. Not any boast of skill, but extreme shift how to regain my severed company compelled me to awake the courteous echo, to give me answer from her mossy couch.
3: What chance, good lady, hath bereft you thus?
4: Dim darkness and this leafy labyrinth.
3: Could that divide you from near-ushering guides?
4: They left me weary on the grassy turf.
3: By falsehood or discourtesy or why?
4: To seek the valley some cool, friendly spring.
3: And left your fair side all unguarded, lady.
4: They were but twain and purposed quick return.
3: Perhaps forestalling night prevented them.
4: How easy my misfortune is to hit.
3: Imports their loss beside the present need.
4: No less than if I should my brothers
3: lose. Were they of manly prime or youthful bloom?
4: As smooth as hebes, their unrazored lips.
3: To such I saw. What time the labored ox in his loose traces from the furrow came and the swinked hedger at his supper sat. I saw him under a green mantling vine that crawls along the side of yon small hill, plucking ripe clusters from the tender shoots. Their port was more than human as they stood. I took it for a fairy vision of some gay creatures of the element that in the coolness of the rainbow live and play in the plighted clouds. I was awestruck, and as I passed, I worshipped. If those you seek, it were a journey like the path to heaven to help you find them.
4: Gentle villager, what readiest way would bring me to that place?
3: Due west it rises from this shrubby point.
4: To find that out, good shepherd, I suppose, in such a scant allowance of starlight, would overtask the best land pilot's art without the sure guess of well-practiced
3: feet. (laughs) I know each lane and every alley green, dingle or bushy dell of this wide wood, and every bosky bourne from side to side, my daily walks and ancient neighborhood, and if your stray attendants be yet lodged or shrouded within these limits, I shall know ere more awake or the low roosted lark from her thatched pallet rouse. If otherwise, I can conduct you, lady, to a low but loyal cottage where you may be safe no further quest.
4: Shepherd, I take thy word, and trust thy honest offered courtesy, which oft is sooner found in lowly sheds with smoky rafters than in tapestry halls and courts of princes where it first was named, and yet is most pretended. In a place less warranted than this, or less secure, I cannot be that I should fear to change it. I, me, blessed providence. And square my trial to my proportioned strength.
5: Shepherd, lead on. Unmuffle ye faint stars and thou fair moon that will to love the traveler's benison, stoop thy pale visage through an amber cloud and disinherit chaos that reigns here in double night of darkness and of shades. Or if your influence be quite dammed up with black usurping mists, some gentle taper, though a rush candle from the wicker hole of some clay habitation, visit us with thy long leveled rule of streaming light, and thou shalt be our star of Arcady or Tyrian cynosure. Or, if our eyes be
6: barred that happiness, might we but hear the folded flocks penned in their wattled coats or sound of pastoral reed with oaten stops, or whistle from the lodge, or village cock count the night watches to his feathery dames. T'would be some solace yet, some little cheering in this lone dungeon of innumerous boughs. But oh, that hapless virgin, our lost sister! Where may she wander now, whither betake her from the chill dew, amongst rude burrs and thistles? Perhaps some cold bank is her bolster now, or against the rugged bark of some broad elm leans her unpillowed head, fraught with sad fears, or else in wild amazement and affright, so fares as did forsaken proserpine when the
5: big rolling flakes of pitchy clouds and darkness wound her in. Peace, brother, peace. I do not think my sister so to seek or so unprincipled in virtue's book and the sweet peace that goodness bosoms ever as that the single want of light and noise, not being in danger, as I hope she is not, could stir the constant mood of her calm thoughts and put them into misbecoming plight. Virtue could see to do what virtue would by her own radiant light, though sun and moon were in the flat sea sunk and wisdom self oft seeks to sweet retired solitude where with her best nurse contemplation she plumes her feathers and lets grow her wings that in the various bustle of resort were all too ruffled and sometimes impaired he that has light within his own clear breast may sit in the center and enjoy bright day but he that hides a dark soul and foul thoughts walks in black vapors, though the noontide brand blaze in the summer solstice. Tis most true that musing meditation most
6: affects the pensive secrecy of desert cell, far from the cheerful haunt of men or herds, and sits as safe as in a senate house. For who would rob an hermit of his weeds, his few books, or his beads, or maple dish, or do his gray hairs any violence? But beauty, like the fair Hesperian tree laden with blooming gold, had need the guard of Dragon Watch with unenchanted eye to save her blossoms and defend her fruit from the rash hand of bold incontinence. You may as well spread out the unsummed heaps of miser's treasures by an outlaw's den and tell me it is safe as bid me hope danger will wink at opportunity and she a single helpless maiden pass uninjured in this wide surrounding waste Of night or loneliness, it wrecks me not. I fear the dread events that dog them both, lest some ill-greeting touch attempt the person of our unowned
5: sister. I do not, brother, infer as if I thought my sister's state secure without all doubt or question. No. I could be willing, though, now in the dark to try a tough encounter with the shaggiest ruffian that lurks by hedge or lane of this dead circuit to have her by my side, though I were sure she might be free from peril where she is. But where an equal poise of hope and fear does arbitrate the event, my nature is that I incline to hope rather than fear and gladly banish squint suspicion. My sister is not so defenseless left as you imagine, brother. She has a hidden strength which you remember not. What hidden strength? Unless the strength of heaven, if you mean that. I mean that, too but yet a hidden strength which, if heaven gave it, may be termed her own. Tis chastity, my brother, chastity. She that has that is clad in complete steel, and like a quivered nymph with arrows keen may trace huge forests and unharbored heaths, infamous hills and sandy perilous wilds where, through the sacred rays of chastity, no savage fierce bandit or mountaineer will dare to soil her virgin purity. Yea, e'en where very desolation dwells, by grots and caverns shagged with horrid shades and yawning dens, where glaring monsters house, she may pass on with unblenched majesty, be it not done in pride or in presumption nay more no evil thing that walks by night in fog or fire by lake or moorish fen blue meager hag or stubborn unlaid ghost that breaks his magic chains at curfew time no goblin or swart fairy of the mine has hurtful power or true virginity do you believe me yet Or shall I call antiquity from the old schools of Greece to testify the arms of chastity? Hence had the huntress Diane, her dread bow, fair, silver-shafted queen, forever chaste, wherewith she tamed the brinded lioness and spotted mountain-pard, but set at naught the frivolous bolt of Cupid. Gods and men feared her stern frown, and she was queen of the woods." What was that snaky-headed gorgon shield, the wise Minerva wore, unconquered virgin, wherewith she freezed her foes to congealed stone, but rigid looks of chaste austerity and noble grace that dashed brute violence with sudden adoration and blank awe? So dear to heaven is saintly chastity that when a soul is found sincerely so, Thousand liveried angels lackey her, driving far off each thing of sin and guilt, and in clear dream and solemn vision tell her of things that no gross ear can hear, till oft converse with heavenly habitants begins to cast a beam on the outward shape, the unpolluted temple of the mind, and turns it by degrees to the soul's essence till all be made immortal. But when lust by unchaste looks, loose gestures, and foul talk, and most by lewd, lascivious act of sin, lets in defilement to the inward parts, the soul grows clotted by contagion, embodies, and imbrutes till she quite lose the divine property of her first being. Such are those thick and gloomy shadows damp off-seen in charnel vaults and sepulchres, hovering and sitting by a new-made grave, as loath to leave the body that it loved and linked itself by carnal sensuality to a degenerate and degraded state. How
6: charming is divine philosophy! Not harsh and crabbed, as dull fools suppose, but musical as is Apollo's lute, and a perpetual feast of nectared sweets where no crude surfeit reigns.
1: Hello, hello!
5: List, list! I hear some far off hello break the silent air. Methought so too. What should it be? For certain, either someone like us night foundered here, or else some neighbor woodman. Or, at worst, some roving robber calling to his fellows, Heaven keep my sister. Hello!
6: Again, again, and near. Best draw and stand upon our
5: guard. All hello. If he be friendly, he comes well. If not, defense is a good cause, and heaven be for us.
1: Hello! Hello! Hello!
5: Hello! Hello! That hello I should know. What are you? Speak! Come not too near, you fall on iron stakes else.
2: What voice is that, my young lord? Speak again. Oh, brother, tis
5: my father's shepherd, sure. Thursus, whose artful strains have oft delayed the huddling broke to hear his madrigal, and sweetened every musk rose of the dale. How camest here, good shepherd? Hath any ram slipped from the fold, or young kid lost his dam, or straggling weather the pinflock forsook? How couldst thou find this dark-sequestered nook?
2: O my love-master's heir, and his next joy! I came not here on such a trivial toy as a strayed ewe, or to pursue the stealth of pilfering wolf. Not all the fleecy wealth that doth enrich these downs is worth a thought to this my errand, and the care it brought. But, O my virgin lady, where is she? How chance she is not in your company!
5: To tell thee sadly, shepherd, Without blame or our neglect, we lost her as we came. Ay,
2: me unhappy! Then my fears are true.
5: What fears, good Thersis? Prithee briefly show.
2: I'll tell you. Tis not vain or fabulous, though so esteemed by shallow ignorance, what the sage poets, taught by the heavenly muse storied of old in high immortal verse, of dire chimeras and enchanted isles and rifted rocks... Whose entrance leads to hell, for such there be, but unbelief is blind. Within the navel of this hideous wood, immured in cypress shades, a sorcerer dwells, of Bacchus and of Circe born, great Comus, deep skilled in all his mother's witcheries, and here to every thirsty wanderer by sly enticement gives his baneful cup, with many murmurs mixed, whose pleasing poison the visage quite transforms of him that drinks and the inglorious likeness of a beast fixes instead, unmolding reason's mintage charactered in the face. This have I learnt, tending my flocks hard by the hilly crofts that brow this bottom glade, whence night by night he and his monstrous rout are heard to howl like stabled wolves or tigers at their prey, doing abhorred rites to Hecate in their obscured haunts and inmost bowers. Yet have they many baits and guileful spells to inveigle and invite the unwary sense of them that pass unwitting by the way. This evening late, by then the chewing flocks had ta'en their supper on the savoury herb of not grass, dew besprent, and were in fold, I sat me down to watch upon a bank with ivy canopied and interwove with flaunting honeysuckle and began wrapped in a pleasing fit of melancholy to meditate my rural minstrelsy. Till fancy had her fill, but ere a close, the wanted roar was up amidst the woods, and filled the air with barbarous dissonance, at which I ceased. And listened them a while, till an unusual stop of sudden silence gave respite to the drowsy flighted steeds that draw the litter of closed curtains sleep at last a sweet and solemn breathing sound rose like the soft steam of distilled perfumes and stole upon the air that even silence was took ere she was ware, and wished she might deny her nature and be never more still to be so displaced i was all ear and took in strains that might create a soul under the ribs of death but oh Ere long too well I might perceive it was the voice of my most honoured lady, your dear sister. Amazed I stood, harrowed with grief and fear, and, oh, poor hapless nightingale, thought I, how sweet thou sing'st, how near the deadly snare. Then down the lawns I ran with headlong haste, through paths and turnings, often trod by day, till, guided by mine ear, I found the place where that damned wizard, hid in sly disguise, for so by certain signs I know, had met already, ere my best speed could prevent the aidless innocent lady, his wished prey, who gently asked if he had seen such two supposing him some neighbor villager. Longer I durst not stay, but soon I guessed ye were the two she meant. With that I sprung into swift flight, till I found you here, But further know I not.
6: O night and shades, how are you joined with hell in triple knot against the unarmed weakness of one virgin, alone and helpless? Is this
5: the confidence you gave me, brother? Yes, and keep it still. Lean on it safely, not a period shall be unsaid for me. Against the threats of malice or of sorcery or that power which erring men call chance, this I hold firm. Virtue may be assailed, but never hurt, surprised by unjust force, but not enthralled. Yea, even that which mischief meant most harm shall in the happy trial prove most glory. But evil on itself shall back recoil and mix no more with goodness. When at last gathered like scum and settled to itself, it shall be in eternal, restless change, self-fed and self-consumed. If this fail, The pillared firmament is rottenness and earth's base built on stubble. But come, let's on. Against the opposing will and arm of heaven may never this just sword be lifted up. But for that damned magician, let him be girt with all the grisly legions that troop under the sooty flag of Acheron, Harpies, and Hydras, or all the monstrous bugs twixt Africa and Ind. I'll find him out and force him to restore his purchase back or drag him by the curls and cleave his scalp down to the hips.
2: Alas, good venturous youth, I love thy courage yet and bold emprise, but here thy sword can do thee little stead. Far other arms and other weapons must be those that quell the might of hellish charms. He with his bare wand can unthread thy joints and crumble all thy sinews.
5: Why, prithee shepherd, how durst thou then thyself approach so near as to make this relation?
2: Care, and utmost shifts how to secure the lady from surprisal, brought to my mind a certain shepherd lad, of small regard to see to, yet well skilled in every virtuous plant and healing herb that spreads her verdant leaf to the morning ray. He loved me well and oft would beg me sing, which, when I did, he on the tender grass would sit and hearken even to ecstasy and, in requital, ope his leathern scrip and show me simples of a thousand names, telling their strange and vigorous faculties. Amongst the rest, a small, unsightly root, but of divine effect, he called me out. The leaf was darkish and had prickles on it, He called it Hemony and gave it me, and bade me keep it as of sovereign use against all enchantments, mildew blast, or damp or ghastly fury's apparition. I pursed it up, but little reckoning made till now that this extremity compelled. But now I find it true. For by this means I knew the foul enchanter, though disguised, entered the very lime twigs of his spell and yet came off. If you have this about you, as I will give you when we go, you may boldly assault the necromancer's hall, where if he be, with dauntless hardihood and brandished blade, rush on him, break his glass and shed the luscious liquor on the ground, but seize his wand. Though he and his cursed crew fierce sign of battle make and menace high, or like the sons of Vulcan vomit smoke, yet will they soon retire if he but shrink.
5: Thersis, lead on apace. I follow thee, and some good angel bear a shield before us.
0: That was part one of Comus. The introductory music was the Pavan from set number 9, from the old version of William Law's Royal Concerts. The dances for Comus's entourage were an Antic by William Laws with the inner parts composed by Christopher Verrett, and the first current from Royal Consort set number 5, thanks to Tom Bishop, to Jennifer Francisco for logistics, and Hallie Fischel for developing the songs. You can find out more about this and other of our projects at musiciansinordinary.ca where you'll also find a link to where you can support these projects with a donation.